You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, amen, amen. Good morning, Harvest. Hope you guys had a, uh, had a great week. Uh, if you're new to Harvest or I have not had a chance to get to know you or meet you yet, my name is Andy. I'm the pastor of students and young adults here. And so uh, if you have a Bible uh, with you, go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 2. If you need a Bible this morning, just go ahead and pop your hand up in the air. We'll have some, some ushers bring you a Bible. And if for some reason you don't have a Bible at your house or uh, you physically you don't own a copy, um, please take that as our gift to you. We want everyone to be able to have a copy of the Word of God. So Mark chapter 2. Um, and so today we're, we're, gonna, we're going to get a, a glimpse of how God views the, the needy and the desperate, okay? We're going we're gonna to see a picture and get a glimpse about how this God, this Jesus, how he heals. And so last week, Daryl started this, this discussion, but today it ramps up into a, a whole new level. This morning, we're going to encounter Christ who, who's only going to do what God himself can do. What he can do goes way past just healing the sick or the diseased or casting out demons or healing the physically broken. He offers what men cannot. And so we see this gospel. Mark wrote this gospel to show people the divine authority that Jesus had. It emphasizes that Jesus, one, is the Christ, and two, he is the Son of God. Look, he announced the kingdom of God. He healed the sick, and now he's going to announce that and have the authority to pay the ransom for sinners. And so as we see this morning, Jesus, again, is in the midst of, of people, is in the midst of sinners, healing the sick and preaching the word. And so he was, we, we, we're in a mood today, past last week of, of you're healed, but don't tell anybody to, look, I've just been healed and I can't keep it together and I can't keep it straight. There is no way I can keep my mouth shut about this. Who is this Jesus? Who is this man who heals? And so one thing you'll see in this text, this is actually a section of Mark's gospel, and it's the beginning of, of five different controversies that Jesus is going to have with the Pharisees and the scribes, and each time it's going to ramp up and intensify. But with that last week, we were reminded that Jesus is constantly proving his authority, and Jesus has already proven his authority over the demons and disease. He's already shown his authority in, this teaching, in his teaching of the word, and now he will prove his authority to forgive sin. And so read with me here, Mark, starting at Mark 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. It's going to be here on the screen for you as well. It says this, And when he returned from Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic and carried by four men. And when the crowd could not get near him because of the crowd, or sorry, when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they lay him down in the bed on which the paralytic lay. And, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? 
Which is it easier to say to the paralytic, rise, your, uh, your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Verse 13, he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at his table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Father God, as we walk through this text this morning, I pray that we would just see the beauty of Jesus. God, I, I pray that, that we wouldn't look at it through our own broken lens, God, but that we would get a new picture, a fresh picture of, of this Jesus, of this God, fully God, fully man, this God man who heals and who calls sinners from death into life, from darkness into light. And so this morning, God, I pray that you would do a work in our own hearts, do a work in my heart, God, that we'd see you in a new way. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, look, so let, let's set the stage. Jesus has been walking around uh, the, the area of Galilee and in Capernaum doing a bunch of miracles and, and healings. And so you see that he was teaching, but then he cast out the unclean spirit or, or the demon. And then, and then he heals many others from fevers and, and, and other things. And he's preaching in Galilee and he's going around and, and then he cleanses the leper and he tells the leper like, hey, this is for me and you. Like, don't tell anybody, but that was out the window pretty quickly. And so we see this in, in, in chapter two. He says he returned to Capernaum after some days. So he we know he was out, right? So Jesus, who had left Capernaum for the cities of Galilee, returns back home to Capernaum to the place where he was staying, and suddenly he has a crowd outside of his house, right? Like, I don't know if you're anything like me, but like, I, I read that line and I begin to like, just be like, oh, right? Because there's nothing worse than coming back from, from like a hard day at work or being out and you're exhausted and there's people, <laughs> all right? I, like, I hate crowds as it is, right? But there's people, right? And so there's a crowd outside of his house and Jesus being fully God yet fully man, look, he's probably flat exhausted from everything he was doing, but the text shows that he comes home and the first thing that happens is that Jesus is crammed into a house full of people. Now understand this too, these people necessarily aren't close friends or family, but, but it, it's a house packed with random people who are waiting outside trying to catch a glimpse or to hear a word from this man, Jesus. Because we know that, that these, these, uh, these miracles and everything have gone before him. They are preceding him. And so he's in Galilee. Trust is like here in 2019, it doesn't take much for, for something to go viral on the internet. Now just imagine for a second in this, in this same way within this first century here that people are hearing about these things and they're going back to their cities, back to their homes. And they're like, you would never believe what I just saw. And so... And so people are, are, are like, Jesus is home. Let's go see. Let's go see something. Let's go hear something. Let's give me something. And so they go. And so they're all trying to catch a glimpse of him. And now if you actually look into, into Luke's gospel, you also notice this isn't friends because in the same scenario in Luke's gospel, it, uh, Luke actually writes that, that the crowd outside of his house is, is not just close friends or family, right? It is a lot of scribes and Pharisees. And so we already know that the crowd outside is not friendly but hostile and probably a bit antagonistic. 
All right, so even, even so, right, I think about this crowd. Either way, look, I used to work in retail, all right, when I was in uh, senior high and into university. I used to work in retail, all right? And there's this thing called Black Friday, all right? And I, look, working in retail on Black Friday is a nightmare, all right? Because you run out of everything that the big sale is on. People run you over, threats, all stuff like that. The things you see on Walmart, on YouTube, they're true, okay? It really happens. And so here's, what, here's the picture I get about a crowd so crowded into a house that there's not any, any room. You can't see in the door. can't see in the window because people are sitting outside. That's what I get, and that's my manager. He goes, hey, Andy, you want to go open the door? <laughs> this is me trying to reach for the lock, trying to get out of the door so I don't get run over, right? That's a picture I get. Or, or if you've ever been to like the St. Catherine's Costco on any given day, right? You will know this is the picture we're getting, right? So everyone is trying to, to get past or around or, or over one another so, so, they, can, so they can get, uh, so, so what they can get and what they can want, right? But what we're about to see is the reason everyone has arrived, Look, honestly, we see this. They return, and it says, and many were gathered together. There's no more room. Look, and he was preaching the word, right? What does he do? Captive audience. Some of them stuck in there, can't go anywhere. All right, so what are they going to do? I'm going to preach the word. Some can't leave even if they wanted to, right? Most likely, the crowd wasn't there in his doorway to hear him preach. Understand this. They probably weren't there to hear him give a word or anything like that. They wanted to see what they have heard about. They wanted to see the miracle. They wanted to see Jesus do something, right? And so, and so we begin to understand this. There's a captive audience for miracle. Like they just seen him cast out a demon, healing the sick, cleanse the leper, but they want more. Like it's like weird. It's like we're like, why would they want more? Because it's like our own appetites. We are never satisfied. We always want more. Right? The stories of the miracles of this man Jesus preceded him, and they wanted a glimpse. And so here's the thing. I'm, I'm not even three and a half, four verses in, and I study this text, and it's hard not to ask the question in my own heart, how often is this me? Right? How often is this me? All right, Jesus, I'm here. Show me something. Right? Do something. Prove something to me. Right? Like, that, that's when I sit there, I'm like, all right, God, look, I'm here. Make me at all. Show me, prove it, make me, make me go, wow. Give me a great story to tell, Jesus. And he just begins to teach the word. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, you're teaching. All right, cool, cool. Hey, when are you gonna get to the things that are like super important in my life? When are you gonna get to the things about, you know, about all these different things? When are you gonna get to the things that, that make me go, wow? When are you get to the things I can be amazed at? And I, and I have to ask, even in this context, when is the word and the preaching of the word not enough? Because if we're not cautious, we can get there real quick. All right, God, I did my devotion, and, and, and I read my little verse of the day, and then I prayed. Now do something. Like, when is the word not enough? Because, church, look at me. That's how God communicates to us through his word. What does his word say? And in the earthly ministry of Jesus, the word being spoken is essential. Right? It is the preaching of the Old Testament texts that point to Jesus. He's reading going, does that sound like someone you might know? Right? He's pointing to himself. It's, it's the calling of repentance and the pursuit of God's kingdom. It is, it is one of proof and proclamation. That's the teaching and today, the spoken word, church, guess what? It's still essential. 
We still need to hear it. We still need to know it. God has given us everything about his character and and given everything about our need for him and what we need to know within this text, and we must respond to him one way or another. See, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, hearing these words, even today, Jesus is forcing your hand at something. He's forcing your hand at denial or belief. He's not saying, hey, I'm speaking to you this word that points to me. And you can figure it out later. He's calling every one of us as we engage with this text, forcing our hands, saying you either believe or you deny. There's no middle ground. Are you someone who just wants to hear, hear of the miracle and see the miracle? Are you someone who wants Christ? Are you someone who wants me? And that's, that's what's going on here. In this teaching, he forces the hand. But we see in this text pretty quickly, just in case the crowd isn't actually seeing what's going on here, just in case Jesus has the authority over physical healing, right? That's your first point, right? And here's the thing. Here's what we can see, and here's how we know that, right? As he was teaching, right, point blank, verse 4, and when they could not get near him, right, they came bringing him the paralytic carried by four men, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, right? So as he was teaching, the people didn't have to wait long for, for their desire to actually happen. They were there for healing or seeing a healing or whatever else, and so four men carried in a paralytic, now, a paralytic in the first century is considered to be an outcast. So we don't know if this paralytic was someone who if it was from birth or if it was an injury or as, as many times in, in even the first century, they, they believed it was a direct product of sin or their parents' sin. Like we, we don't know that. But we do know that he's in need of healing, right? They couldn't get into the house, so in de- desperation, they ripped the roof off. By the way, 2019, if you had Jesus in your house in a crowd full of people so tight they couldn't get in, next thing you see is your drywall falling from the ceiling, you're not going to be too happy. At least I'm not. Of course, for me, I'm like, this is a rental. That's fine, right? And so, you know, we begin to think through this, right? But what what do we see them do? They can't get to the house. They, they can't get in. They, they couldn't get, get around. So people in, in desperation, they rip up the roof. They, they're dropping dirt, sticks, thatching to, to everyone below. Great, time for a shower, right? And so, you know, they're dropping all these things, but they didn't care, right? They, they lowered Jesus. They, or they, they lowered apparently before Jesus, right? You can even look at the text. They could not get near him. They removed the roof. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. They plopped him on the, the, the living room table in front of Jesus, and then, here he is, Jesus, right? Here, here he is. Like, we couldn't get to you. Sorry about the roof, right? But, but we know that you are our friend's only hope. And if the stories that we're hearing about you, about your healing, are true, then we know for a fact that you are our friend's only hope. Side note, I want friends like this, right? Uh, I want friends like this, all right? Who doesn't want friends like this? Be like, all right, look, I, I, man, I, I know your condition is bad, right? I, I know your condition is bad, but, you know, this is, this is so, so, much, so many of us, right? Your condition is bad, but, you know, man, I, I want to invite you to, to come when, when you're ready. No, no pressure, right? To, to come and maybe hear about this Jesus guy. He, he, he might be able to, to heal you, Right? I want friends to say, hey, I know your condition is bad. So you know what? Hey, guys, come here, come here, come here. Grab a corner. We're going to take you to Jesus. We're not going to sit there and let you try to figure it out, right? 
We're, we're not going to let there and sit and be like, hey, you, you, can, you can do it, right? Like, there's no way you're going to get up on your own. So grab a side, fellas, and let's go. I'm going to take you to the feet of Jesus. And so we begin to, to think like this, right? And even sometimes we, we sit there and we're like, all right, hey, you know what, man? Like, I really want you to meet this Jesus guy. But I need you to wiggle your toes first, man. Come on. I need you to show me that you're, like, you're really into it. Come on, I'll be here all day, man. I'll just wait. Wiggle your toes. Man, he can't, right? And so, so even metaphorically, like on the, on the flip side, like who, you want friends that way, who where you're at a place where you are not gonna go to Jesus on your own, they're gonna drag you to him and say, here he is, right? And so we, we see that, but on the flip side, like the question is, are you that friend? Are you also someone who sees the needs of the physically broken, needy, desperate, outright, whatever, and, and you go for them? Are you someone who sees the need on, on a second level, who sees the need of the spiritually broken, and you meet their needs? Now understand, it's like this, this sermon is not about friendship. It's about the authority and the goodness of God and his authority over the physical healing. But at the same time, church, these are the type of friends we should be for one another. Where it's, dude, I know you're in a bad place, man. And I know you're probably not going to get from there to there on your own. Let me walk with you. Let me grab you. Let me pick up a corner if I have to. I will drag you. You know what? There should be a Hallmark card. I love you so much, I would dig a hole through someone's roof to put you in front of Jesus. Right? Trademark, by the way. All right. But we see that, right? Here's the scary thing. On the other side of the same coin, when we talk about this mentality, and this is not for me. I heard another pastor say this, but... The crowd was so large, including a large number of scribes and Pharisees, that they had no other option but to go through the roof. The people that were healthy, the people that weren't desperate, the people that weren't needy, weren't willing to give up their spot to move out of the way that this person who needed Jesus could get to Jesus. Right? And they wouldn't allow the paralytic through. Like, how often for, like, do we as believers stand in the way, maybe unintentionally, of someone coming to meet Jesus? And some of you guys are like, well, I don't do, I don't do that. Like, I'm all about Jesus. Yeah, go God. But how do we do that? Look, here's the first one. When we lead with our expectations and not God's. Hey, man, look, I know you're messed up. I know you need to get this face. Like, you know, you need, you, you can't, like, if you're going to come to church with me, like, you can't say that. You can't wear that. You can't do that. No, you can't smoke out in the parking lot. What are you thinking? Right? We, we get into these little things of our expectations being put onto other people, going like, hey, if God's going to accept you, you need to clean yourself. Before, like, you know, you need to at least look presentable. Case in point, Jesus is like, man, bring me your desperate, broken, needy. Right? Second thing, like, like here's this, another way that we stand in front of people meeting Jesus. When we force our theological positions on people before they've even met Jesus. Hey, hey man, I know you want to meet Jesus, but like, you need to understand this catechism, and you need to say this, you need to believe this, 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 and these 15 other points about Jesus and the theology of Jesus before I bring you to meet him. Man, that, that's not right. It starts with Jesus, and everything from Jesus flows out. Right? But we do that so often. We say, hey, look, I know you want to meet this Jesus, but here, let me show you how to do it first, and then I'll bring you and introduce you. Wrong. We show people the God that we love, the Christ that we know, and then from that, we teach them. It's called discipleship. Here's the last thing. When we don't notice the brokenness of others as we rush into a service to see our friends on a Sunday morning, we have 500 or so people who walk through that lobby every single Sunday. 
That's 500 on a minimum. And how many of us rush by, heads down, in the phone, or chatting with our Timmy's in our hand, walking in here to find our friends, to get our spot, and sit? And all the while, we miss the brokenness in the ministry that could be happening out in the foyer. Because these are just ways, small ways, that we begin to, to, to be that crowd, to be the blocking from people coming to, to see Jesus. I didn't say this one in the first one, but I even, I'm going to bring this up in this one because as you start talking, it, it comes out. But here's the fourth one. When we expect someone's political views to line up with ours before we bring them to Jesus. Yikes. Right? Look, I'm case in point on some of that sometimes. I understand. But we're going, hey, if, if you're not in this way or believe in this guy, if you're not going to vote for this person, then you can't, you can't meet this Jesus. You've got to be lined up right here. In the States, you got to vote all red before you come to church, baby. No. No, Jesus is saying, man, follow me. He's saying, be so desperate and needy that you're going to show someone me. You're going to drop them at my literal feet. Not what you think, who I am. And so let's try with this again. He says, that he's, he's, the paralytic is sitting there on the, on the table or on the floor, on the, on the cot that he's, he's been lowered in by. And, and, you know, he says, Jesus says this, he saw their what? What's the next line in that church? He saw their what? Faith, right? He saw their faith. He didn't see their actions. He didn't see, I mean, he saw their actions, but he didn't, he didn't look at their actions and say, wow, how wonderful. He, he didn't say, like, well, look what they can recite. Look how well they sing. He said, look at their faith, right? Look at their faith. He said, to the, uh, he says, son, your sins are forgiven, Right? Son, your sins are forgiven. Like, so Jesus just says something completely a bit odd. Your sins are forgiven. Do you not think that the four friends of the period look like, oh, so what? Like, my, sin, my sins are forgiven? Like, who said anything about sins? Like, we want our friend to, to walk. Like, we want you to, to heal him. Like, what do, you, what do you mean about sin? Come on, Jesus, show us. And then, you know, if you know anything about mob mentality, the whole crowd, yeah, prove it, right? Yeah. Show us. But Jesus, is, but Jesus being Jesus, as he often does, he's looking beyond the physical need, and he's looking into the real need, which is forgiveness and salvation, which only comes through him. Right? And so he says that. And the, paralytics, or the, the, uh, the scribes are like, why does this man speak like that? Right? They're not even saying it. They're like, it's in their hearts, and in their minds are thinking it. And he's like, why are they saying it? Like, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but, but God alone? So in this moment, church, imagine the scribes come to a place of near crisis, right? They know that only God can forgive sins. They know that Jesus is healing people physically, but now he moves beyond that. They begin to, to silently question, like, what just happened? What man can do that? He must be blaspheming. And here's, church, look at me. In the Jewish context, only God, not even the Messiah, can forgive sins. So if you take it to the fullest extent of what Jesus just did, right? Jesus just declared himself God. He raised the stakes, knowing their heart, and he heals the man physically and spiritually. Here's the thing. I love when the words immediately is in the scripture. Because it wasn't like Jesus walked away and was like five minutes from like, oh, hey, I, I know you guys might have been thinking this. You might have been questioning like, how can I do that? You might have been thinking like, who am I, right? All that stuff, like immediately. Like Jesus did it and he's like, it's almost like he's like looking at him like, hmm, right? 
He's doing it, and immediately he perceived in his heart, in his spirit, in, his, in who he is, right? He knew. He knew what he was doing, and he knew what the, the, the response of the scribes and the Pharisees would be. So look, don't, don't miss this, right? Jesus saw the desperate state of the paralytic, and he healed him. And even so, like I said before, even if this was a result of sin, I want you to track with me when I say this, look. Even if that was the result of sin, he, Jesus, just took away the sin and the consequence of the sin. Now, in 2019, we can look through the totality of Scripture. We know where else in the Scriptures has Jesus taken away the sin and the consequence of the sin? On the cross, because Jesus is saying, look, I, I know you're sinful, but look, in me, you will have new life. I'm your advocate now. I am your mediator now between God and man. Guess what? You deserve death, physical death, and you deserve spiritual death because of the sin that you have. You're forever separated from me. That's your consequence. But here's the thing. I'm going to take away your sin, and then I'm going to turn around and take away your consequence. You're no longer separated between, between God and man. Now we are together in Christ. We're together. And that's the beauty of the cross. That's the beauty of the resurrection. That we're not stuck. We're not wondering how to get to God. But Jesus has taken away the sin and the consequence of the sin. And in that moment, you know that you are for his in eternity. So he's looked at your past and said, don't worry about that. I have that. You look at your, your sin now, and he goes, like, I got that too. You're like, but Jesus, what about all the stupid stuff I'm going to do in the future? I got that too. You're in me. And so that's the reality of, of what we're seeing right here. And so, and so Jesus, he perceives that, and why do you question such thing in your heart? What's it, what is it easier to say? I love this line. Uh, what's it easier to say, man? Hey, look, you're questioning me right now. Look, what's it, what, what for you, what would it be easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, arise, take up your mat and go home. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna do both. By the way, your sins are forgiven, rise, take up your mat and go home. And that's what he does. And look, immediately he rose and picked up his mat and he went before them all. Immediately. It wasn't like 15 minutes later, you can make an excuse, or something magically happened. No, immediately he's like, boom, all right, I can walk again, sweet, right? And, and he said, rose immediately, picked up his bed, and he went out before them all so that they were amazed and glorified. God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Look, we've never seen anything like this. Yes, they've seen the healing, right? Because we, we see all throughout the, this past, you know, chapter one, we're seeing the healing. They're not saying, we haven't seen healing like this before, Wow. What they're saying is, we have never seen this forgiveness that Jesus brings. We've, we've never seen someone do this. And, and if you're not who you say you are, dude, you're, you're on some pretty thin ice right now. And so one, one thing is for certain, when we, when we look at this, when we truly encounter Jesus, you don't walk away unchanged, right? You don't walk away unchanged. When, when you see God do only what God can do, you have to be in awe. You can't explain what just happened outside of God just did something great. And we, we look at that and we say, wow, we've never seen anything like this. And the concern here is that even in this miraculous account of healing, it's, it's become white noise within our Christian culture. We, quote, know these things, right? But we forget them so quickly. And in the context, church, this was unheard of. And this is where we need to get back to. We read the Bible, yeah, yeah, okay, healing, cool, go God. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, virgin birth, sweet. Okay, yeah, read that, know that, yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that part, but I just remembered, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been to church like 15 times in Easter, so I already know like death, birth, resurrection. I'm good with that, right? Yeah, Jesus rose from the dead, yeah. But how come when we read this text, it doesn't do anything to our hearts? So often we read the text and we're like, yeah, I know. Yeah, God, thanks for the reminder. We're good, bro. Like, that's how we treat it. Rather than this is, this is the totality of the personhood of God brought to this earth, doing these things to show us that he is the only way. Yeah, you can, go ahead, heal. Forgive their sin, though, too. See, you can't do that. You can give someone Robitussin all day long. But you can't take away their sin. Only Christ can do that. So what does this message prove to us? Here's a the, here's the sub point. It proves us, magically, Jesus has the authority to heal the physical body. Right? You're like, that's just like point one. Exactly right. All right? Look, we, we can't, like, here's, here's what we're not going to get into, because Pastor Gerald did this well last week, but I'm not going to get into the, the why does he heal certain people and others, or the who does he heal over others, because honestly, I can't tell you. Um, no one can, and someone that says they can, you need to run away. All right? But what we do know is that in Mark's gospel, in this gospel, Jesus is healing the desperate and the needy who come to him in faith. That's what we see over and over and over again. Look, today, church, Jesus still heals. Right? In many instances of sick friends and family, we, we ask for miracles. Some of you in this room are praying for a couple in this church right now, begging and asking God for a miracle. And guess what? They happen. But they don't happen all the time. They don't happen every time. Case in point, in late 2012, I had a mentor and friend who also was a pastor, a father, a husband, doing great things for the kingdom of God, building God's kingdom. Around Christmas time in 2012, he gets diagnosed with stage four esophageal cancer, right? Close friend, family friend, we love him, we still, we, we still love his family dearly. But here's the reality, we prayed for healing. We prayed that God would take it from him. We prayed that God, he would make it through this somehow, right? But four months later, he dies. Well, you know, we, we, we pray for those things, and, and many people are praying for those things and healing, but it wasn't God's plan in the moment. I know it sounds like a pithy statement, but it's not. Like, that's what we have to conclude, church. Right, many... But, but, but there are many times where, where God moves in ways that only can be explained by his intervention. And if you need to know what those are, just go to Google and type in Christ miraculously heals. Millions of Google searches will come up. But we begin to look like we pray for healing in faith that he can heal, right? But we must press into him when we don't understand why he doesn't sometimes. In this case, he healed. He said, look, your, your faith has made you well. Pick up your mat, rise, go home. But that's not always the, the case. But we know Jesus will heal, some immediately, some over time, and some when we're standing face-to-face with Jesus. Come on, all right. And, and it's the last part there that when we st- like some of the ultimate healing will sometimes happen in the face-to-face that people get really worked up on. They get really angry at. Like they question God's love and his power when they don't see the physical healing. They get angry when the, when the Christian pastor or whatever in death says, well, brother, they're healed now. It's like, I get that. Like, I get that. It seems insincere. And, and it seems like you just punch you in the throat, right? That's what it feels like. But, or we start asking, like, is, that, is God's love so cold for us? That's, that's what the response is, right? But we must remember, church, look, 
Jesus never promised healing in this world. Right? I love how the Gospel Coalition puts this. Jesus heals because healings preach. Right? And so in this context, Jesus heals because healings preach. And so we see Jesus doing things that people on this are saying, whoa, not that, hey, hey guys, no, not that he just forgive, or not that he just heal a physical body, but he forgave the guy's sin. Like, what just happened here? All right, well, like, what just, what just happened here? He, he promised that he would conquer uh, sin and death. He promised us a right relationship with God and ultimately him, and he did. And so, church, until he, until he returns, we still have the effects on our lives of the, of the broken and fallen world. It, it, it's sometimes it's downright miserable. But we have Christ, and we can't miss that, that we, our hope is not necessarily for this world. Our hope is for the next step. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that, this text, this paralytic text, because not, not only does Jesus have the, the ability to, to heal the physical, but Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. That's the catch. That's the catch-all, right? We know that only God can forgive sin. And, and look what Jesus did. Like, our, our God isn't undistant. He's not uncaring. He's there before us and in front of us. Right? He is our advocate to both God and man. So now with the paralytic, look, where does his, his identity ultimately lie? No longer with sin, but with Jesus. Right? He, he tells the paralytic to rise, take up his mat, and go home. I want you to know something. That's not normal. All right? If you read that and go, oh, okay, cool. Hey, that's not normal. All right? For someone just to say, hey, look, I forgive your sin. Oh, yeah, you don't think I can do that. By the way, um, what's easier? Your sins are forgiven or uh, your consequence is gone? Rise and walk. So, so what does that mean? It's someone says Jesus is saying this, telling him to go home. You still have the same life, but you don't have the same life. You, your life is new and you can live it new. Everything you do from now on is through a different lens. Forget about your past. I've taken that. The new lens, the here and now and forward, you will look at it through my lens the normal environments you now know and you have known for years will be drastically affected and changed because of your interaction with this man named Jesus. And I'm thankful for that. Right? We also know, we see this. Jesus offers more than physical healing. So points one and two are my subpoints, right? Amazing. Jesus offers more than physical healing. How do we know? Because after this, after this point, it says, verse 13, he went out again beside the sea. Because that crowd probably dispersed pretty quick after there's a guy and they're saying, I'm God. <laughs> Peace. Right? He went out again beside the sea and the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. Look at Again, teaching them. Again, pointing to himself in the Old Testament text going, look at what this points to. And for us, we read the Old Testament and the New Testament in tandem and we can see the connections. And Jesus all the while is going, look who this is pointing to. And so we see that. Jesus heals the, the paralytic, and the text says he walked along the sea, teaching, and look, calling people to follow him. It says, verse 14, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alpha, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to them, follow me, all right? And so this man called Levi, who, who many commentators actually assume that this is Matthew, like the gospel writer of Matthew, that Matthew, that this is that moment, because Levi and Matthew are the same name. And he says, sitting in the tax booth, he says, look, follow me. <laughs> follow me. And this is Matthew. Yeah, okay. 
Look, for, for us, like, if you don't read that and be like, that's odd. Every time Jesus walks up to someone and like, follow me, there's no question. There's no argument when it comes to the disciples. They're like, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> right? I forget who it is, uh, that, which two disciples it is, but like, they leave their dad in the boat. They're like, peace, dad, see ya. Like, family business out the window. And, and so we, we see this. But for us, if we see Jesus and he's like, follow me, we're like, eh. Can I get some credentials first? Like, what's in it for me? Is there, like, are we getting paid? Like, uh, do I get, like, time off? And vacation? Do I get stuff like that? Like, retirement? Um, I'll follow you, Jesus, but, like, you got to make it worth my while. And that's how we treat it. But in this case, we see Levi, the tax collector, sitting there. Now, a tax collector in this, in this first century is, like, the worst of the worst. Right? Imagine, like, the worst person in your mind, and then go, like, ten times further, and then, like, that, that's a tax collector. All right, it is the worst of the worst in society. Look, someone who's not only hated by outsiders, but someone who's hated by his own people, all right? It's, it's bad enough being hated by, like, people that you kind of know. It's hard enough being hated by, like, your own family. And this is, this is what a tax collector was. This is what they did. So the so tax collector in the day would, would often extort money from those who they collected money from with threats of imprisonment or, or even worse. And even the touch of a tax collector in your home would make your home unclean. That's how bad this whole situation was. And at the end of the day, they were considered material wealthy but spiritually bankrupt. They had all the money in the world, but their soul was rotten. That's what they were considered. And so Jesus walks up to this man. Now imagine the crowd for a second because the crowd knew the uh, scope of a uh, tax collector. They see Jesus walk up to this guy and say, hey, follow me. And he's like, okay. Because we know deep down within us, we know there's something else going on within the heart of Levi, within the heart of that tax collector. And so here's the reality of this. Like, this is a reminder that Jesus can and will call people from all different walks of life to follow him. We don't get to determine who follows Jesus and, and who doesn't. That's the reminder here. Like, we, we, we need to be obedient in sharing the gospel, but let us not pick and choose who we think is deserving of that gospel. Right? Look, if God had done that to us, none of us would be here. I think we know that. And I think on, even on the surface level, we'd be like, yeah, I know I have nothing to offer God. But trust me, you have nothing to offer God. I have nothing to offer God. Nothing. Zero. Zilch. Nothing. You can't go like, I can sing, congratulations. I can, I can, you know, I can quote the entire Old Testament, congratulations. We have nothing. In our poor, broken, desperate, needy state, Jesus still says there's a way. I still want you. I still desire you. Look, I'm giving you more than just the physical healing. And so what do we see in the pattern of Jesus? And every single time we see this, it is teach, hey, follow me. Here's the example you're forgiven. Teach the call to follow, the example of Christ, and the forgiveness of Christ. You see that in almost every interaction that Jesus has with people. And so we see that, that he was called, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Now look at this, verse 15 through 17. As he reclined at his table and back, he's back in his house, so no longer, so it looks like he took a stroll and picked up a few disciples on the way and came back, Right? As he reclined at his table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Right? 
But so Jesus had Levi and other quote sinners with him at his home. They eat a, a meal together. Church, look at me. In that century, that's a sign of oneness and togetherness and fellowship. So imagine for a second the God of this world, this God of this universe, this Jesus, this God man, right? He is sitting in the middle of the, of the unclean of the sinners. He's sitting right dab in the middle of it. And he is welcoming them. And they, they're eating together. And he's, he's like saying, I am with you. I'm identifying with you. And here's the thing. The scribes saw this and they didn't like what they saw. But here's the thing. How did they see this? Because they weren't in the house. I promise you that. They're like on the window with their face smashed against it looking in. Or they're like the, the neighbor Wilson from, from Home Improvement looking over. Howdy ho, neighbor, right? It's one of those moments so they're on the outside looking in, and they're going like, that looks crazy. I'm not doing that. And, and their question as believers, we, we even bulk at. Their question is that they say, so it's no longer a question of, of in their spirit or in their mind, right? It's now a question they flat out ask one of the disciples, why is he eating with those sinners and tax collectors? And, and as Christians, as someone who, people who, who believe in this text, we immediately go like, why wouldn't he eat with those sinners and tax collectors? Why wouldn't he do that? That's, that's the savior that they need. Why, why in the world would, wouldn't he do that? And, and here's, here's kind of my thought on that, ready? If we say Jesus is the savior that sinners need, and we know that he is the only true savior, and if we are his people and therefore ambassadors on earth, why don't we eat with sinners? Why? Hey guys, real talk here. It's easier for me to invite one of you to my house for dinner than it is my next door neighbor who doesn't believe in Jesus and go to church. You know why? I don't have to have awkward conversations. We already have a common lingo and common belief. I don't have to explain to them what I'm talking about. Explain to you what I'm talking about. I don't have to, I don't have to explain why I'm praying. I don't have to explain like, why we're doing what we do or what I do for a job. Not, yes, I do work more than one day a week. I don't have to explain any of that stuff. It's easier. But then we see this example of Jesus who's just right in the thick of it, right in the middle of it. Now, now don't, don't, don't get caught up when I say like eat with sinners because everyone gets all like, mm, I don't eat with sinners, right? But, but focus on what it means to truly be uh, around and, and interact with people who don't share the, the same look, talk, mind, attitude as you. But then turn that upside down. What does it look like to spend time with people who do think, talk, speak, act like you, but they don't know Jesus? What, is, what does that look like and what, what, does that even, what does that even mean? Right? See, I want to point this out. In this passage, Jesus is in the middle of this. He's saying morality and your morality does not equal eternity. Jesus does. That's what he's saying in this. He says, uh, look, I, I'm, look, at the end of the day, I'm talking to myself when it comes to this, by the way. Okay? Like, there's a certain intentionality that Jesus has that we all lack, and that, but that we, his people, also lack. Right? Case in point, if we saw someone from our church out and about, on a seedy part of town or non-desirable part of town, eating with someone who looked kind of sketch, our first thought 
would not be, wow, they're sharing the gospel with him. They're showing him the love of Jesus. They're, re- they're meeting a physical need and a spiritual need. We're going to go, you know what? I haven't seen him at church for two weeks. And uh, they're here with that person. And, uh, you know, we, we need to have a conversation because I need to make sure that they're, like, not falling off the cliff. Right? More often than not, is that true? Because that's where our hearts naturally, glo- naturally, naturally go. Like, to reach the lost the case of Christ, you have to be with the lost, okay? And like I said, you have to use wisdom that's, that's in what this looks like. And, but, but hear me when I say, like, if we're not willing to get into the trenches with people, we will end up like the scribes and the Pharisees looking from the outside, looking in with a pride that is against the very heart of God. But however, however, that question that those scribes ask, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? I think the question that the scribes ask is actually a natural one. I'll give them that. We often look at the scribes and the Pharisees as, as the, the bullies that were always picking on Jesus, right? We read the Bible, we open the Bible, we're like, they are so mean, right? That's what we're always looking at, like the religious types who think they're better than everyone, right? And in some way, yes, perhaps we can read it into that, right? But the scribes and the Pharisees get this church were pious Jews who wanted to please God and ensure the purity of the law. Let me break that down. There were people who loved God and wanted to make sure that the truth was upheld as truth. Now, where are you on that? Because I would say that I'm someone who loves God, that I want to make sure that the truth is upheld as truth, as truth, right? However, here's the thing. With Pharisees, over time, they lost their first love. They lost their first love, which is loving God, Right? Their, their oral tradition became the equal with the, with the written law. And because of this, the scribes and the Pharisees, their zealousness for the law, they actually refused to show compassion to, to people and grace to people whose love uh, didn't obey the law, right? And, and their legalism was simply a product of loving God the, the wrong way. And, and their desire shifted towards, towards other people thinking them worthy of God rather than God declaring them worthy. And so look at me, church, when I say this. The Pharisees meant well, but they were still wrong. Let that sink in, because we are one step from Pharisee every single day. We are one step from that every day. We are one step from from removing ourselves from the compassion of Christ for the whatever we want to call it every single day. So we... If we're going to love others the way that Jesus commands, if we're, going to, if we're going to follow Jesus the way that he demands, like we must protect ourselves and one another from getting to the place where a walk with Christ becomes a legalistic mantra for the holy ones. Okay? We must find a healthy blend between truth and grace so that other people no longer see us, but they're going to see Christ in it all. See, in this picture, Jesus is driving the Pharisees and ultimately us away from simply a moral behavior and into the grace that is found in Jesus. A simple moral behavior is how the Pharisees got to where they are. And so in in their defense, sometimes that's our own heart. Why, Why are they doing that with those people? Why, why, like, why, I don't, I don't understand the reasoning there, and then we, we want to go have, like, some backdoor conversation, and be like, hey, man, listen, I know it's probably for a good reason, but, like, what's up with that? Right? And so we, we look at that question, and it says, why does he eat with them? And Jesus heard it, which means they asked it loud enough for a crowd and a house full of people to hear it. I just get this picture of, like, 
Hey, why does he eat? With? You know, I get that. And Jesus hears it, and here's his response. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Church, our hope and our ultimate healing is found in Jesus. Our hope and our healing, right, everything, our ultimate healing is found in Jesus. So when Jesus heard their question, look, he flat out exposes their hypocrisy. The, the Pharisees who were moral and, and upright heard the, uh, they, they needed, who needed Jesus just as much as those he was with, okay? And so they, they didn't understand the true need for the very thing that they thought they had. Let me say that again, right? They did not realize and understand the true need for the very thing they thought they had. So how many of us think that we have it all figured out, we think we're good, we think we're walking on, on, a, on a good path, whatever, but our, our love for others and our love for God has actually become more about us and how we look and how we th- think and sound and, and how other people might view us. Right? There, there's the problem there. They didn't realize that even though they were plagued with physical sickness, they were broken with spiritual sickness. They were healthy, but inwardly they were rotten. And I love this, right? Again, I just love that. Notice how we move from from the thought of who can forgive sins to the outward spoken of why does he eat with those people? Again, I love that Jesus didn't sense this. I'm glad that they said it, and he heard it, and he lays it out. Jesus' response simply says, look, if you think you're so well, you don't need me, right? But when you realize you do need me, when you realize that your, your legalism has taken over for the very love of God that you think you have, I'll be here with all the other sick people and you can join us. And so look, I, I equate this simply to this. I equate this passage and this response to the people who are so stubborn, even though their body is sick and they're showing signs of being very sick, even physical signs of being very sick, they're too stubborn to go to the doctor. Because all the while, they know something's wrong. They know something's messed up. And they're afraid to go to the doctor because the doctor will just tell them the very thing that they secretly already know. That is exactly what Jesus does to the Pharisees. He's like, look, you, you, you think you don't need me when you... When you Stop putting up all your excuses and your walls and everything else. Look, I'll be here because I'm the final and the perfect physician and I will point to you exactly what is wrong and we can put you on a path to being whole. So at the end of the day, it comes out like this. With healing, physical healing, spiritual healing, all these different things, it comes out like this. All right, that's nice. But does Jesus want to still really heal that way? Because I don't see the, see the type of healing uh, that you're talking about regularly. Even spiritually, like people that have been spiritually healed, like I see Christians not even acting like Christians. Uh, and I see people who, who follow this Jesus, but their life looks nothing different. That, that's a problem. So, so what's the deal? And this is where I remind us, all of us, even myself, that, that the, the healing of Jesus is always a foreshadowing of what is to come. It's not about the, the here and now. It's about a foreshadow of what is to come. Our confidence in Christ is not that he would take away all of our sicknesses, all of our ailments, heal our physical sicknesses and diseases. Can God do those things? Yes. Does he do those things? Yes. Has he done those things? Yes. But our promise is in Christ and not the physical healing. And when we get to that place, it's a better place. 
Right? I would like to sit up here, stand up here and think and say that I would much rather have a broken body with a spiritual wholeness in Jesus than have a perfect body than a spiritual brokenness. Our promise in Christ is not the physical healing, it's the eternal healing, which is eternity with him where there is no more sickness, death, tears. His final healing was sealed at the resurrection and will be seen again at his second coming, church. That's why we hope and anticipate this return of Jesus That's why we look at Revelation 21, 4 and 5 that says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, Christ, said, Behold, I am making all things new. I'm not going to take the the old broken body and try to fix it. That's going to be gone. Like You're going to get a glorified body. It's going to be perfect in its perfect state. You're going to be with me. You're not going to be wondering what happened in in the fall because you're not going to worry about that anymore. You're going to look at me. You're going to look at Jesus, and we're going to say, we don't need that body anymore because we are whole now. And so we don't often understand this period of waiting, though. Because we are a people who have forgotten how to wait and anticipate. Information is at our fingertips, a world of instant gratification. Like, we don't want to wait. We don't want to wait so much that when, like, when like a new, uh, new series of a show comes on Netflix, we don't, spark, we don't space it out. What do we do? We binge watch all of it in the next two days. Right? And then we're like, huh, what's next? Like, that's become, become our culture. Like, like we don't, we don't want to wait. Like, we want everything now, every healing, every answer, every promise. Like, we want it right now. And so I love how um, all these different things begin to come together, and we realize that both the physically sick and the spiritually sick are all signs of the fall in Genesis 3 that are only healed and ultimately healed by, by Christ. So the only cure lies in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So we know that he has conquered sin. We know that he has conquered death, and he offers eternity with him for whoever would confess and believe and in turn truly follow him. He doesn't say just like, he doesn't say just, just confess me and then sit there, right? He says, if you believe and if you confess, that's going to drive you to want to do something. That's going to push you towards something. That's going to push you towards living a life of godliness and holiness. And I know you're going to screw that up. And that's okay. That's why my grace is still there to, to protect you from all those things. But here's the thing. You grow in my likeness. That's what Jesus is flat out saying. And so at the end of the day, the question is, will we submit to the authority, Right? Jesus has all the authority we could ever want. He has all the authority he could ever need, right? And so that's our question. Will we submit to his authority? Because ultimately, all this is about his authority. Is it about his authority to cast out demons? Is his authority in the word? Is it his authority for the diseases and the sicknesses? It is his authority to to bind the physically broken, and it is his, his authority that forgives sins. It's about his authority, and some of us, the sad thing is, want the benefits of Jesus without having to submit to his authority. Look, Jesus can heal. He can heal the physical. He has the authority to do it, right? But here's the thing. Don't try to get away with saying Jesus has the authority in your life without giving him the authority in your life. It's pretty obvious when that happens and you're not fooling God. Right? You might fool people for a while, but even that will become rapidly changing. Here's the last thing. Some of you this morning, need to finally submit to the authority of Jesus, allowing him to forgive your sins. There is no sin too great. There is no sin too big. We must allow him to be our Lord, allow him full control in our life, and it doesn't always look pretty, but Jesus is still faithful. So we need to stop simply looking to Jesus for the here and now, like the paralytic, but focus on being the people that were in the room with Jesus, embracing the forgiveness of sins, getting a new life, and the only, the only life that Christ 
has the authority to give us, which is his. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we love you. And God, we, we pray that you, God, would just continue to make yourself known to us. You would continue to show us your goodness, God, that we would begin to, to see these passages, God, not just as white noise for a religious living God, but as the, as the truth of the living God who has given himself for us, for the sin of the world, that we can be with you again, God. We just pray and we give thanks for that. So God, we just ask in this moment, God, for those who are in this place, God, those who are in this room, those who are suffering from, from the, the, the very denial of which they think they have, God, for some of us who are struggling with, with the life as a Pharisee, God, the, the life as like we think we have it all together and our, our spiritual religiosity is somehow getting us some favor with you and it's not. God, for those who need to realize and, and get out of their, their comfort circles, God, and, and God, I'm, pre- I'm saying that to myself too, like, like I'm terrible at this. And so God, I just pray that you would start with me and God, start with us, God, that we'd have a, have a new life Release a new heart for, for the things that, that are of you and, the, and the, give us passion for things that are of you. God, thank you for, for when you do heal the physically broken and the sick and the diseased. God, thank you. Thank you for showing us your, your grace and your mercy in that moment. But God, thank you that we know it's not just about the here and now, but it is about life eternal with you. So God, begin to work in our hearts and our lives. God, let us be people who come truly to the throne of grace because we have you. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.